Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fly OOH 044BHM. You're listening to the new Not an Out of Home podcast. You're listening to the Out of Home podcast. Are you locked into the Out of Home podcast? You're listening to the Out of Home podcast. Featuring Kieran, Kwame, Yaf and Stephen. You London boys are crazy. Welcome to the first instalment of Forever Forwards. Throughout the month of October, which is Black History Month in the UK and Black Achievement Month here in the Netherlands, we'll be sharing conversations that we've had with a few dope guests, tapping into their experiences of living, working and thriving as a black person in society. For us, we really wanted to use these conversations to celebrate the progressive mindset of the black community and champion some of those people who are trailblazing in their specific fields. The first episode is with creative partnership Abdu Cisse and Akwesi Poku, two creatives that are making waves in the advertising world, but are also taking control of their own narratives through film. Abdu, who directed Serious Tings, which was nominated for Best British Short last year by the Biffer Awards, and Akwesi, who's directing his brand new film called Lock Off, which is due to be an absolute madness. This is a conversation with two incredible guests. We hope you listen and enjoy. <laughs> All right, what well, should we should we intro this thing? Let's go, baby. You guys ready? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Out of Home Podcast, a show brought to you by four Londoners living in Amsterdam, capturing and sharing stories of inspiring people while sharing our own. And obviously, today I got my Mandan with me. I got Yaf. I got Stephen. Got Kwame. And we're joined by two very very special guests in the form and shape of Abdu Sise and Akwesi. Kwasi, Kwasi, Bok. Yes, yes, yes. And um, I guess over the next couple of weeks, we'll be um, talking to a bunch of people that are flying the flag for black people, black culture, um, in our Black History Month special, which we are calling Forever Forwards. And um, this conversation is about owning the narrative. And people are going to be listening to this and be like, I'm doing a question. Who the hell are they? Like, what, what, do, they, what do they do? Like, um, obviously, I know who you are. Yaf knows who you are. But for the people that are listening, do you mind just giving us a rundown of what you do, wh- wh- where you come from? Um, yeah, and like just who you are, really, um, just for the people that are listening. So um, I'm Akwesi. I'm a senior creative at Media Arts Lab. Um, I'm 30 years young and I work with Abdu. Um, a bit of background as to how I got to Media Arts Lab. Um, Media Arts Lab is, is an agency that works like, exclusively with Apple. Um, and me and Abdu have been there for a year now. Um, when I was younger, like, I studied at school. I studied like uh, business, media, history, graphics, but I always had a, like, a big love for like the creative industries and, and for the media industry. Um, so I found myself like being quite lucky and getting like some work experience at some really big places. So I actually started off um, in post-production, uh, working at a company called The Mill while I was at university. Um, that was amazing. So at like 19, I was working on like Nike adverts, doing all like the visual effects, doing this thing called rotoscoping where you like cut out 
people from the shots so that the CG team could put like um, crowds and, and, and all of the graphics and all of the emotion and the CG behind the actual raw shots that were shot in camera. Um, I spent about two years doing that on and off while I was at university studying post-production. Um, got a chance to go to New York as well, which was amazing. Um, and then when I kind of came back, I had this American dream, or it's go and live in America. And then I went out there and I remember I was 21 at the time there for like six weeks and the Mills offices in London and, and New York were identical. And I remember I had this moment where like, I opened the windows and I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to go and check the man there. And I opened the windows and I'm just on Broadway yeah. in Soho, New York. And I'm like, oh my days, I'm so far away from my friends. And I think it was a proper like, it was kind of heartbreaking. So I was like, shit, like, is this really what I want? So mm. came back um, and then graduated and basically I wanted because I'd spent so much time uh, at university working I just wanted to chill I literally wanted to spend the year just playing FIFA playing Call of Duty and then um, my girl at the time was like Quest like, like just get up and do something so um, I must have got like a work experience at this agency called Engine um, and like Dan and Zach who like my creative directors at the time they literally took me under their wing and I started off in PR and I spent 18 months there. They taught me a lot. And then um, uh, me and Abs, we've known each other since we were like, what, seven, eight years old. Um, Abs at the time basically was, I think, graduating that year and wanted some advice on how to get into the ad industry. So um, I think Abs was going to apply for BBH. And at the time I went to leave Engine, but everyone was saying, oh, you need a creative partner. And I've got this thing, which is like, I, I believe that everything in life is right in front of you. Like, if you kind of, like, look, like, you can kind of, like, grow and, and make things happen with all the tools that you have in front of you. And, yeah, and I just put it to abs. I was like, yo, like, I'm trying to leave where I'm at. I know you're trying to get into the industry. Do you want to, like, um, team up? So we created, like, this portfolio. We called it, like, the Superbook with, like, I actually found it the other day, which is mad, with, like, these ideas. I think it was the idea for, like, Sainsbury's, idea for, like... Oh, I remember you said that you looked good, Yeah, so, like, when, when you start up in advertising, you have to create, like, a book of, like, spec ideas. And like, um, so we created it and then we just basically like went around to different creative. So it's almost like you go to CDs to show them your thinking. And then they might, one of them might be like, oh, you know what, come and do an internship here. So um, we spoke to uh, these guys, Luke and Wolf. They are like literally like, like angels in the world. Um, Wolf and Lucian as well. So there's a little Lucian connection there. So um, they said, come down, come to RGA. Uh, we spent, it was only supposed to be a month there. We ended up spending like five months, which at the end of that, we put out a campaign for Google. Um, we also started working with these artists called The Code at the time. And the reason we really went to work with them because we loved their music, but we also went to kind of like flex and show our kind of like our source creatively. Um, and then literally, I think we put out a project where we like built this like website from scratch. And like, it was a kind of like a press pack, but it wasn't a press pack in Wikipedia. Press pack is a website. So you could learn about the artist you could then listen to their music and you could see the amount of plays that they were getting on SoundCloud. So one of their tracks had like 3 million plays and was like, yo, like the labels need to, they need to see this shit. So we got that, we sent it through, done that all agency email, sent it through to everyone. And then literally, I think the end of the next day, there was contracts on our desks. So then, wow. <laughs> it was like, it was like sick. It works. That's mad, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we ended up spending three years at RGA. We worked on, everything there from like Beats to Nike to Google to like Rexona which is sure for us in the UK mm. uh, and then we got headhunted by Ryzen and Kennedy 
spent two and a half years there. Um, and then we got hit up by Media Arts Lab around this time last year, and we've been there ever since. So, yeah, that's like long and short. I'll let Abs talk about his, his, his come up. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my, with myself, yeah, for again, real. Um, Lewisham, born and raised. Um, blah, 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 blah. Blue Borough. <laughs> <laughs> Deptford in the building. Deptford in the building. Deptford over here. When you see them blue bins, yeah. When you see them blue bins, you know you're in South East, bro. And don't forget the crown. Don't forget the crown on top of Lucian, bro. Don't forget yeah, the crown. yeah, yeah, yeah. Crowns, bro. Crowns. Gold crowns, bro. Um, the land of kings, bro. The land of kings and queens, bro. But anyway, so Lucian born and raised. Um, I studied architecture up in DMU, um, another another sick, sick experience. Um, very, very dope before it kind of went downhill. Um, but again, vibes. Um, studied architecture up there. I think during my second year, I realised that, yo, like, I clocked what the industry would be like. And I'm someone that loves playing with mixed media. I love, I love design as much as I love painting, to, as much as I love film and everything. And... Again, I've, I've grown up with a family where my mum's does mom does sculpture and pottery, my dad does illustration. Um, so I've been in a family that's been quite creative from the jump in terms of just being allowing me to be creative in myself. Um, so that's been like a constant thing. So when I got to uni, studying architecture at the beginning, it was really arty. And like again with architecture, what's amazing about it is that there's a reason why it's a seven-year-long course because you have to learn so much about the creative process. Um, within designing buildings so the way they do it is they get you to think of a concept and you have to see how that concept translates throughout all of the building from the design of the doors to the to the floor plan to the windows to the structure itself like so for me I'm really interested in like just ideation and creation um, so they'll get you for instance our first course I think our first lesson was to create design a piece of furniture then design the building that will sell it. So it was like, it was just wild. It was sick. And it was probably one of the best times creatively that I had because I'll be in the workshops just creating. I remember I created this piece of furniture that um, that you slide out and another piece of furniture comes out and you slide out again. So it was like, it was, it was like this Russian doll kind of piece of furniture. Mm. But like, again, I just loved the ideation process. So when it got to second year, going into third year, and I started to look at like what the industry would be like, I was like, oh man, this doesn't, this doesn't really happen. Um, like what I'm doing now, in terms of like the photography side to everything, that I don't, I'm not really going to be involved in that. And I think I've seen a few mates who are doing graphic design, and I was like, man, that's that's kind of what I want to do, like working with brands, brand building. And then when it came to my third year, I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm just going to finish my third year. Like I don't want this to be wasted on it, like just doing two years of nothing. Um, but then once I hit third year after that, that summer, I'm going to give back to myself because I felt like for those three years, I kind of done a disservice to myself by not kind of chasing what I wanted. Mm. And um, so that summer, again, I'm someone that likes going to workshops. So when, when everyone was done handing in their portfolio, I went back to the workshop and I was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to create whatever I want to create. doesn't matter who it's for, what it is, I'm going to do it. And I think my project at the time was to do with I was using laser printing, which is where they use a laser and they engrave on wood or they cut wood with laser. And I was creating all these patterns because it was to do with my project, which was to do with like 
my end of year project was to do with like um, a beehive, like it was to do with like beekeeping. It was mad. So I had had all these patterns and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to put this onto this piece of scrap wood that I have and it could become like an art piece that I want. So I'd done tons of those, like whilst everyone else is just like calling off, I went back in and then out from that came like this jewellery collection and not jewellery collection, like pieces of like, if it, I thought, oh, this could be quite nice. That could be like a badge. That can be like a button. That could be like a necklace or a ring. And out from it sprung like this collection of jewellery. And then I thought, you know what? I could use this as like my portfolio piece because I have nothing to do with design, nothing to do with branding, nothing to do with advertising. Let me just spend time using this. Wherever this is, I'm just going to turn it into something and use it as a way to kind of build the portfolio. Because all my portfolio was, was just architecture. And I want to jump out of that. And, um, and yeah, I spent that summer creating something called the Woodland Jewelry Collection. Mm. Um, and I wanted to sell At first, I was going to give it to this boutique in Leicester. I showed it, showed it to a woman. The woman was just like, yo, I want the whole thing. I was like, what? <laughs> she doesn't even realise this is scrap wood that I had from leftover from my project. She wants to buy the whole thing. All right, fuck it. I was like, give me a week. I spent a week creating more. Then my brother kind of called me and my brother was just like, and I think this is what the biggest turning point was. My brother was like, yo, like, don't give her the full thing. Like, take it for yourself. Learn how to sell it yourself. Use this as an experience and just build from it. So that summer, I ended up releasing it. And um, I called her, I was speaking to her classy at the time. I was like, yo, I'm really interested in being like an art director, going into like create, like being a creative and we just kept in contact that whole summer. And I think that summer he might have been doing like a Nike project um, to do with, um, was it Academy? Yeah, was it Academy? Yeah, yeah. I think he was doing that, um, which is mad, which is actually crazy. We ended up working on that later. But like, we were doing that and then I ended up shooting like a film. I was like, yo, get involved. The Cressy came through, helped film it. Got on, hit up my boy Q, who, was, um, who also studied architecture. He filmed it as well. We created this like mad video, it's like a music video. I'll send you guys a link to it. Even now I look at it and I'm like, bro, we actually created that. That's mad. Like, and the way we shot it, we just we went back to the ends. I live in like Sydenham, where there's like loads of woodland. That's what I named it after. And we shot like this. We basically had a little party in the woods and I just shot it. And um and it, it was sick. And then we released it, it like raving reviews, loads of people loved it, loads of people loved the video. And it ended up selling out like worldwide. Like I remember, and I remember sitting there being like, "Wow, I was actually just going to give this to this woman, but now I have like a brand and a project that I've designed from scratch, and I can I've advertised from like from myself, and sold out to places in like it was like in Melbourne, Australia, to like Switzerland, to like Barcelona, to, to Paris. It was crazy. International, international, bro. International, bro. Um, it was bad, bro. And I was like, again, bro, this is just scrap wood that I had. And um, because the concept was about making the discarded things into things that are precious, it just connected. And and in that point, me and Kwasi started talking a lot more. And, um, and we just like, yo, let's just team up. And then we teamed up and we created our book. And then, yeah, bro, it's just been, it was wild. It was just a wild sort of journey to kind of get to. And I was completely new to the ad industry. Again, it was more about my own experience kind of doing stuff. And um, at the time when we started at RGA, it was just an amazing time because it was, they weren't really doing advertising either. They were kind of doing business transformation. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's when we started teaming up and that's when we started killing it. So 
that's kind of like my long story of kind of getting into industry. Um, <laughs> Safe, bro. Like, so interesting, like, just to hear that as well. Like, the fact that you guys had your separate lives before and then, te- like, came together to literally... Man, when, when I talk about you guys to other people, I'm just like, yo, Abdu and Akwesi, some, some of the dopest creatives that I've come across in my life. Like, and nah, bro, it's like, it's not even a gas thing because remember when I came to RGA, I was like, you guys weren't there at first. I think you guys were on holiday. And I was, and I think Quest, Quest may have came half the day, halfway through the day, like on the second day, and then he left halfway through because he said he's going to wireless or something. And I was like, bro, like these men are, these men are sick. Like, but then as I got to go, as I got to know you guys and um, just understood the way that you guys think and and the way that you bring up concepts and and put them together, I was like, wow, you guys are honestly like super super talented, man. And I'm so glad that you're you're now receiving the flowers that you deserve in it. Um, so yeah, like yeah, take it away. I know you got some questions you want to talk to the mandem about. We're just gonna chat, talk, chop it up, do what we need to do, as usual. You get me? So let's go, bro. Yeah, man. You man, welcome again, bro. Like we said, it's been fucking long overdue. I mean, we just been really gassed to have. I mean, we talk all the time. Like Abdu, me and you will just send each other stuff on WhatsApp all the time. Quest, me and you have a lot of conversations about uh, a whole variety of things <laughs> involved, in, involved in different WhatsApp groups. Um, but on a real, it's been really, it's, it's going to be really nice just to, I guess, chop it up. Not formally, but just to really dig into like you lot's careers and what you lot have done, man. For sure. So we're going to, like, with every session that we have, we're going to open with a series of questions. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get different answers inevitably. Um, but just interested to hear from you guys' point of view. So the first one is more, what do you guys love the most about black culture or the black community? Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I, think, I think for myself, like, ah, that's, that's, a, that's a very big question. I think, what do I love the most? Like, I, the easy answer is to say everything, right? Yeah. But what I love about, like, black culture, I think, specifically for me, what I started to realise is, like, how everything we're doing has like a really big history behind it. So some of the stuff that we think we're doing that's like brand new, like the people before us have done. It's almost like it's like it's almost like it's something from our ancestors that's been kind of like handed over to us. And it's just like it goes into every part of culture in the world. A lot of stuff I think that we're starting to realize now is that there were things that we've done as people in the past that have been kind of like shunned away to the sides or like mm-hmm. has Kind of like taken by other cultures and it's like now I think we're starting to realize the power of like speaking about what we've done and also we're actually starting to see what we've done and those stories are starting to get uncovered yeah. but yeah I think um ah, I don't want to say everything but I think I'll go back and say what I'm loving is like is going back and seeing how like our ancestors were like learning about my parents and seeing how they were and how they lived their lives where they came from so yeah I don't know if that's an answer I say for myself it's the the, the ability to like the infinity infinite ability to connect with the soul like of anyone and everyone mm. um, I think that's what is the most prominent thing about black culture is that or just our community in general put us anywhere met us do anything and we're able just, just to connect with anyone um, for, be it through music through through art, through speaking, 
Um, I just think that if you notice that we always seem to be able to just either be able to like sum up the times really well, sum up emotions really well, um, connect to moments really well. And I think it's just like, for instance, I think Kwame has the background of Black Panther, right? That film came out. Steven, sorry, my bad. Um, that film came out and it was a moment for not just us, but everyone across the globe. Now you have little, you have little Asian kids, the little white kids wanting to be Black Panther. And I think something like that is just, I just thought infinite ability to just connect with anyone and everyone on all forms. For me, it's just like the most prominent thing. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from though? Bro, I think, you know what it is? It's going to sound so dumb, yeah? But, like, I think, yeah, like, it's all to do with the rhythm of how we do things. Like, we have, like, a natural rhythm to how we talk, how we speak, to how we do things that just connects. So be it through music, be it through dance, be it through anything. Like, I don't know. I think it's also just in terms of, like, how we're raised. We're raised to be, like, if we think about our ancestors, like, they're very spiritual. Because we have a very huge background um even though in western society that's been cleansed through um through the introduction of other religions and stuff i think we've just always oh shit my screen's been blank um we've always had this sort of level of empathy and being able to connect uh, do you think that comes from like uh resilience because when i think of like black culture i think of like the race that we're starting, like, we were way, 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 way behind. And if, if I look through all of history, like, the power to overcome and the spiritual things that you're talking about came from uh, back in the days of slavery when um, we shall overcome, songs like that. And I, when I look back at the history, I just think it's like, overcomers is just the word that sticks out to me. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad to get your point of view on, like, what do you think that mentality has done? Hmm. That's an interesting one because I wouldn't necessarily put it down to resilience, you know. I think we're just, I think we're really passionate about anything and everything we do. And I think we always have, we've always had this sort of, I think resilience part is only one part of that story, right? There was obviously a lot of, there's like a huge history even before slavery where you had kingdoms, tribes that existed in, um, in countries within the continent beforehand. Um, I think the ability to be able to be resilient is definitely a trait, and I think it's definitely something that has pushed us forward. Um, I think sometimes we, I think now, I think sometimes we might over-glorify that and sometimes forget about the positives Mm. within our narrative. I think if you look at, for instance, if we think about, let's pick two art forms, music or film, most black narratives are to do with resilience in some sort of form or way, be it through breaking down stereotypes to fighting um, intersectional racist um, systems, um, all of that. So I feel I feel like it's definitely part of our thing. I think it's definitely one of the things that, like, I would say is one of our superpowers. You might say, but like, I wouldn't say it's like the superpower. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's your question. Yeah, perfect. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you guys spoke about it a little bit, kind of like our, our history, the way we're brought up. So I was going to ask, like, how do you feel your experiences as like black men have shaped you guys? 
Wow. Um, I think... Come up with the questions today, fam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about this? Like, growing up, so a bit of background. So I, I'm, I'm from, like, as all of us are, I think, from South London. Um, born and raised in Lewisham. I went to school in, or secondary school, I think, with formative years when I came up. So I went to school in Elton, which is, like, a predominantly white area. Um, and I think immediately from from when I started that school, which which was a, it was a, it was actually an amazing school. It made me realize like I was kind of the only one in the room, and it's I think for myself what what that made me learn was how to kind of fit into certain environments that you know that you're not initially welcome to, and I think that's yeah. kind of filtered into funny enough the industry that we work in where sometimes you are one of a very few, if not like just the only person. Um, I think like what what I've I think what 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 being black has kind of made me realize, and obviously I don't know what it's like to to live any other life, but it's made me realize I think the power of like believing in who you are and recognizing that you have a place in these spaces. Um, I think when I first started in the in in the advertising industries, I was always trying to like fit in, always trying to like I don't know you'd almost like shun away a lot of your blackness. Like you would almost like, try to do everything you could to kind of like, so that you was accepted because I think one thing I realized was that, you know, it, it is the nature of these places are, it is an old boys club. Um, and I think over the years, I think what we started to realize is actually, there's actually in the past, there wasn't power in you being yourself. And now like, it's all, it's like that you should only ever be yourself. I think. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I've, I've realized is obviously there is a power in learning how to speak both languages learning how to kind of like speak in certain environments, learn how to like deal with clients that have never dealt with anyone that, that, that looks like you. But also if you can kind of figure out a way to do both, I think that can really push you far in your career. And also it allows you to be able to translate because I think in the last place we used to work, I think what we realized was that we probably were the first black people a lot of these guys ever worked with. So for them, it was like, it was wow. that. It was like, it was like they <laughs> had these that boy. <laughs> I think for, for, for them, it was probably like, I think they, they <laughs> the people probably didn't know or didn't understand how to kind of connect. And I think what we found ourselves in, we found ourselves like really like overcompensating to kind of make people feel easy and calm. Mm. And I think now, I think we're the mindset where it's like, we're kind of over that now. It's like, it's, it's we're not going to try and like, you know, just kind of hide away or, or shun away who we are to kind of make people feel comfortable in their skin. It's like we're in London, we're in the world, like everyone is is growing towards a goal. And I think what we've what we've learned is how to kind of like do what everyone else has been also bring our source to the table. Yeah. And I think like that's the thing which I think is it's kind of like I know I do just not like superpowers, but it's a big thing that I think that all black creators, creators, like anyone in any industry that we have, like we, we, and, and I think in the past, a lot of the stuff that we would have potentially not recognized as good in ourselves is actually like the thing that is not only like that makes us special, but probably change the world moving forward as well. Chris, what do you think um, was the switch for you guys or yourself that made you think, ah, oh, do you know what? Fuck this. I'm just going to like own my blackness in the environment that I'm in because obviously me and me, me, you and, and, Abdu, we go back a, a long while. Yeah. Um, we've worked in similar places and for and known each other for a little bit. And I feel like we've all kind of everyone in this in this conversation now have kind of just like been like, all right, forget it. Like, 
I'm black. This is how I am. So what do you think that was? I think I, I, I can't... If I, if I think long enough, I'll pinpoint the exact moment. But I think mm. it definitely would have been around... I think one moment might have been when I think me and Abs worked on some of junior creatives and, like, massive campaign. And then we saw, like, the awards and our name wasn't on it. And I remember, like, feeling that feeling and being like, rah, that's mad. We spent, we spent hours on this shit. Mm-hmm. In that, it kind of made me realise that, like, it's not about trying to change yourself to kind of fit in. And then we just started to kind of, like, really be ourselves and, and, and talk in the way that we, we think we speak how we speak right now in work. That's kind of how we are. But then I think there was like a moment where I remember we got brought in to work directly with the client. And then it was kind of like, <laughs> it was a proper funny moment because in that it was like the client wanted to hear everything we wanted to say. And it was like, it was like the first time in the industry where we realized like that, what we were saying wasn't nonsense because a client like actually was invested in us. And then that was like, it made us think, oh shit, like we are good enough for this. And then we looked at it and was like, okay, well, if this is the case, then what's been kind of going on all the, all like every, like all the other working on shit. And I think as it, when you're junior, you're still trying to like figure stuff out. You're trying to like understand whether you're right or wrong, or you should speak or not speak. And I think for me at that moment, that was like a big switch. And then the campaign came out, it did what it did. And then we got headhunted. And I think there was a moment, I think Abs might, might bring this up. And I think it was like this moment where Abs, I remember Abs saying something. I think we went somewhere or we had a client meeting and Abs just rolled in with a tech pack. And like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just rolled in with a tech pack. And I was like, standard like t shirt, jeans. And I was dead. I was like, I remember looking, being like, raw, like client meeting. He's like, yeah, he's like, brother, end of the day, it's like, People need to get used to who I am in it. Like my work delivers. <laughs> I love that. And it's like at the end of the day, it's like if 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 they're not going to be used to to me, then maybe we shouldn't be working with them. And I remember hearing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know what facts in it. Like, and then I think all of a sudden, everyone started growing out their hair. Like everything just started. Us. And then I think what we started to realize it was like because I had time we were kind of like working with each other. And I think we all just started to realise that, like, actually the power is in ourselves. And then that's when mm. I started to realise, like, shit, how long have I been kind of, like, trying to just fit in? Like, how long has that been going, going on for? And then, obviously, like, I think me and Abs, like, we have, like, the deepest... Com- like, the, if you, you would have heard it when we was at RGA, Kieran, like, mm. but, like, we have deep conversations every day, like whether it's about the industry, whether it's about colorism, whether it's about like the world as a whole, it's like life, death, all that sort of stuff. And I think we just started to really be ourselves. And then I think what we just started to do was look at the results. And like, you do get gaslit in this, in, in the world. Like, let's not be twisted. This all happens to all of us. But I think there, there happened, there, there, there's now, a, I think for us, was a, there was a switch where it was like, you can't really kind of say we're not good at what we do look at what we do if you have a problem how we look that's on you but we deliver yeah over time and I think now we're in a and for the future as well I think yeah we're just growing into that into into the people we want to become because um just to add to that um like I think it's it's been many different moments like you have many different moments where like you either you're spoken over in in a meeting or when you suggest an idea and everyone looks at you as if you're not speaking English and then someone else, the next Tom, Dick and Harry says the same thing that you said 
and everyone's applauding. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, wait, hold on. I just, I literally just said the same thing. Well, go on. And I think it's been many, it's been a compound effect of many different moments. Yeah. I think the one exact moment where I was just like, I've had enough, you know, was at a Christmas party. And it was jokes because I remember just being at this Christmas party. It was at Wyden, funny enough. And, um, and I remember just looking around. <laughs> Speak your truth, my friend. Speak your truth. I'm definitely going to have to think it, but we're keeping it in there, though. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, but it's, it's not, but funny enough, I, I, if they hear this, this is probably helping them, to be fair. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I think that's, that's the key. If we, if we hide what we say, then yeah. we continue the same behaviours. But I was at a wide Christmas party, and I remember, I don't know. Wide in London, yeah? Yeah, wide in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was at this fancy dress Christmas party. And I'm standing there. And obviously, we're one of the very few black creators there. But in, in a Christmas party, where you see your entire agency and you, and you actually see yourself in that mix of people. You're like, oh, well, we're actually the only ones. And I remember standing there. And I remember trying to vibe. I'm trying to bring, like, good vibes to the thing. Like, I don't drink, but I'm still going to make an effort. And I just stood there and these guys just weren't being receptive. I just remember just that everyone just being like in their own zone, like just in their own cliques. And for that moment, I just sat there and I was like, you know what? I'm done, you know? I'm done trying to make these men comfortable with my presence. I'm done trying to fit in. I'm done like constantly, um, constantly making their job easier. Because I realised that like, at work, I was doing two jobs. I was doing my job, but I was also trying to make them comfortable. Yeah. And if even in the society that we work, we live in, which is all to do with quality, um, someone having to accept how you talk, how you act, how you dress, how your hair looks, is their job. Similar to it's my job. If someone's from Wales and they got an accent, I've accept they have an accent, and I've got. A, Pay more attention to what they're saying so I could translate. But I'm not going to tell them, I wouldn't tell them, yo, you need to change how you speak. Or I wouldn't tell them, you need to change how you dress because they're from outside London. So I was like, you know what? I should do this. I'm actually doing your job by making you feel comfortable. And by me doing that, I'm actually just hindering myself. So that was like one moment I just stood there and I was like, fuck this shit. And I actually, just, I think I left early. So I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done coming to these things and having to make people feel comfortable with me. I'm done in this agency having to make people feel comfortable with me being here. So from that point on, I think we just went, went extra raw with everything we did. <laughs> no, um, I, no I, I, you make a great point. And I've been thinking about it too. It's like, it's so funny when you say that, like you are the minority, you're one of the few black creators in this company and people are uncomfortable around you. And like we're the ones that are like 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 tiptoeing or walking on eggshells, making yeah. like the when you think of the actual like dynamic, it's mad. Like if anyone they should be more accommodating to to bring us exactly. in, but the the mindset isn't the the, the, the let me not say there the, the mindset of a lot of those individuals isn't there. It's about like you said, like you said, across it's like an old, old boys club. So if they can bring in their people, that's about that, that's it. That they only care for self. Yeah. Um, I think now as we're all experiencing. Where we are, I think maybe I can speak from my experience as well. The whole time, maybe I was a little bit like diluting myself. Mm. Now, like I'm my unabashed, unfiltered self every day at work. I let I, I let people know 
what it is about like Jalof Rice, what it is about Game Seven, yeah. the basketball NBA Seven Finals. Like, I, I, I try and <laughs> nah, if, if, the, if if the, if they don't listen, that's fine. But I'm speaking up in it, so that's what it is. Yeah, no, because bro, like, you have to put up with what they talk about on a day to day, bro. Mm, you have to yeah. put up with like what they were doing on Sunday on the weekend, like, and you just have to accept that. <laughs> so I, for me, when I looked at dynamic, I was just like, bro, we are hustling backwards because if we want, to, if we're if we're if we're um, trying to be accepted or just trying to be ourselves and we're having to, at the same time, dilute ourselves. I had the same argument with my brother. My brother was like, nah, that's just about adapting in the workplace. I was like, no, bro. Like, they can never get to know you. Like, mm-hmm. and, and you're wondering why your relationship with them might be strained because you're actually not being yourself. Like, you're being, you're actually being someone else and you don't know whether you should actually be in that space because you're actually making it easier for them, not yourself. So, Bro, it's mad. It's a mad dynamic, but it's interesting when you start to look at it. It's also interesting as well, yeah. So, sorry, Chris. It's also interesting because at the very beginning, Ab, you said, like, as a black community, we can connect with anyone. And so mm. it's almost like you were doing that. You were trying. You were, like, giving your all to do that. And, like, be your natural self, which is, as you said, like, black people can communicate and connect with anyone and everyone mm-hmm. through different mediums and platforms. But then to almost, like, be overconnecting. It was almost like you became tedious of it, and that was like, no, fuck this. Like, I'm just gonna do my thing now. Mm. Just that's, it's an interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Just to the point that Kwame was saying, like, because um, I think a big thing I've had to realize is like, you almost you're, you're you're you become two different people. It's like you're imagine that like, every single day, like you're having to shun a, or put a part of your life in a box it's just insane and obviously it's like I think now we're all just of that mindset where it's like no like fuck it like everyone is going to experience 100% of who we are now and I think that like just for anyone and it's the thing that I speak to, to people about and I think they have to do it and I think my hope is obviously our parents are to go through shit that we don't have to we have to go through shit that hopefully the next generation have to go through but I think for anyone starting up, like, or getting into these industries or getting into spaces, just recognize that, like, who you are, you're okay to be yourself, like, and trust everything will will, will make a lot more sense. And it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be some weird moments. There's gonna be a lot of cringy moments, but yeah, like, it will, it will make sense one day. Wait, listen, you know what I love, yeah, is like when you say something in your own tongue and they just dead and baffled like, <laughs> like and you expect them to know what you mean and then it's like wait what does that mean sorry and it's just like, it's like the most funniest moment ever bro like <laughs> you sorry um, but let's go back into like um, talking about the industry um, and like just what it was like for you guys um, who who in, who inspires you like from the industry, creative industry? Like who do you look to, and who do you like um, think? Oh yeah, that's someone that I really admire. I think there's uh, there, there's no one person for myself. I think there's like loads of people. Um, I think a big thing. I think we didn't we both didn't even mention, which was like the fact we're both like moving into more of a narrative world where we're going to start a lot more stories. Um, like in the film world and I think like, we, we spoke a couple of years every year like beginning of the year what we'll do is we'll kind of like so obviously we, we're two creative partners but we've also got our own we always meet up and like 
see like, okay, what do you want to do this year? Um, where our goals are like, where our goals different. And it's the thing that we do. I think it's, it's a vital thing for anyone in any partnership to kind of do is just so that I can... Speak a bit more closer to the thing, um, question. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so basically, yeah. every year we basically link up and kind of like have a big chat about like what we want to do to see where our kind of our goals are aligned and to see kind of where our goals are different. Um, and a big thing that we've both been speaking about is like obviously going more into like this film world because for us it's like um, we thought with, with the advertising world it's all well and good you learn a lot but then it does kind of like you t- it takes a lot of your time and you get a very small result out of it which lasts a few long. So a big thing that we've realised to come back to the question is that the role that we're kind of we want to be almost doesn't exist but then there's a few people that kind of do that kind of do it in some kind of form so and they're kind of like your generic people that everyone knows about it's like your Virgils your Kanye's um, you've got people like Daniel Arsham um, and these like are, are people that are very creative but they have so many skills they can kind of do a bit of everything and to use a bit of a football analogy they're like your midfielders right they can go back and defend and they can run up. They can, they can, uh, box, be a box midfielders, yeah, yeah, box and box <laughs> midfielders. In fact, they're, they're player managers as well. And I think that, like, we the world yeah, that we, yeah. we had to almost be one person and and that was it. Whereas, like, the world that we're in now, where we've all got like tools around us, you can be everything and anything you want, you can go and do interiors you can go and write a film you can go and like do a mad partnership with a brand and I think it's funny like seeing Virgil even though he gets a slack um, and he gets like ripped a lot I think (laughs) if you actually look at what that guy has done over the years and obviously that's the school of Yeezy but it's like when you kind of look at what they do is people take away their names it's like Virgil was a collab created like a new wagon Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss he's got like, the chair I'm sitting on is a chair from Ikea that's a Virgil collection like, a brand off white off white he's like creative director of Louis Vuitton he's got a collection with Nike he's got you can just go on and on and on and on and on like he's directed films he's done music videos like he's producing he's DJing and it's like what's mad is I remember like when me and Abs went to LA in 2015 and like he was spinning that's Coachella party he was mad and then like I was like right who's this dude <laughs> and he was playing bare UK grime it was mad it was like and all the Americans were there like oh my gosh like what's this music and it was like at that moment it was kind of like if I had known 
that that person would do all these things, I'd be like, back then I would have been, I wouldn't be like that guy. And I think for me, it's kind of like, I, I really want to kind of like move more into the film world. And in terms of like inspiring, I think that that's what something that Virgil does in terms of, he has all these skills, but he does them in his own way. But then he'll be like, okay, cool. New year, new me kind of shit. And then I think Yeezy as well. I think Kanye West, I think, again, he's very outspoken, but I think, again, take away all the madness. It's like, you've got to look at what that person's doing creatively. He's someone that has start who, who initially was a music producer and now has a, a billion dollar brand with one of the, well, with one of the biggest sportswear brands in the world being Adidas. Mm. Um, he's someone that is crazy enough to believe he can do shit. And I think there's a power in doing that. And it's that kind of thing where, what we all, and I think that's something that we've all started to realize that like sometimes you have to be that person so that people recognize and actually give you the ability to, to do it. Because it's like, if you don't say, if you don't believe in yourself, who else is? So they're like two people that I can think of at the top of my mind. Like I, I would go back and even deeper. I think that like, I'm always inspired by Brits that make it in America as well. Um, Cause I think the American market is, is a massive market. So like, when you hear like your Johnny Ives and you, if you actually like listen and you hear his story, like where he went to school, like, and then you look and you're like, wow, like someone with that mindset from a small part of the UK ended up being like the top guy in what the biggest brand in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, that, that, that is so inspiring. I always looked at it and I've always looked and thought like, wow, like I wonder if someone from Lucian could do the same as well. And I think that like you, if you believe in yourself, then you will eventually kind of like get to that position. So mm. yeah, they're like three people I can think off the top of my mind. I'd also like say like Ez Devlin as well. Shit, just because yeah, like, I know about her and her story, but mm. she's a stage from Dulwich who's like designed some of the biggest stages in the world for people such as like Kanye, Adele, Beyonce. And you see like, it's just like when you, I think for me, when I see someone like that, and like, and I see that their work and I'm like, wow, you was able to translate and connect with all these people all over the world. And it's like, and the fact that they're, they're like special, like stuff like that, that just gets me so gassed, man. So like, they're like people that I kind of like, I look to and I'm like, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I want to be like them, but mm. I would love one day for my story to be in a similar world to the worlds that they're kind of like, kind of uncovering. Nice, man. That's dope. That's dope. What about you, Abs? In a weird way, kind of like a lot of the same people. Mm. I think when I started to really start to look at the advertising route as a career, um, it was mad. I think I saw, I think it was Steve Stout randomly. I don't know why. I think I just saw him. I think he was doing something called the the tanning effect, which was like a series he did. <clears throat> and I remember him just kind of like talking to like different people. Like we're like, it's weird. It's weird how music seems to be like a very the spot where a lot of inspiration came from, be it through people that worked for musicians or work in that space. But I think just hearing him, hearing his story, him switching from being a com- being the commissioner, as they would once call him, to going into advertising and being more on the creative side and, and bringing the culture together with brands. But um, like that was one of my sort of first inspirations within this sort of game. And then again, I think sort of your, um, your S. Devlin's, your Virgil's, your... Daniel Arsham's. Um, funny enough, if I saw Daniel Arsham before when I was studying architecture, because he he does he has a company called Snarkitecture, and I think at the time 
um, they were just starting out when I was in doing architecture. They were just doing like loads of pavilion sort of designs. And um, I think if I saw them, I, I probably might have been in a different career because the way he's gone about it has just been yeah. amazing. Like he's just he's gone straight to the creation part and stayed there, not gone to this designing building space, but it's still architecture in some sort of way. And um, seeing how he's able to kind of like take his art and take and grow it into various different spaces has just been amazing. He's done film, he's done his art stuff. Even though now I look at his art, I'm probably not as much as a fan, but I think I can I can definitely respect how he's kind of come up. But again, you're quite, like, quite, I think quite weirdly enough, as much as everyone hates Kanye, Kanye is going to be some form of inspiration to like anyone and everyone. Like mm-hmm. as much as he might contradict himself now. I still like I can't you can't deny the epicness and the dopeness of what my man's done. Like <laughs> so it's it's mad, it's mad. So again, it's sometimes you have to you have to separate the art from the man or the, the work from the person, like and um and just appreciate what that person's managed to bring. But yeah, I think that seeing that was just seeing how he's able to just expand was just amazing. And funny enough, like one of our friends that um, we we managed to kind of work with, but not work with, a guy called Sam Mensah. Um, I remember seeing it, and he's he's kind of one of the key reasons I look, kind of re-looked at everything I was doing because he was in uni at the time. He came up, he designed a typeface, and from the typeface, he then created a clothing line, and I was just like, "Wow!" Like my man's just created a brand, and it looks. And feels sick. Like to this day, you've got Beehearts. People, Beehearts in itself is like a design community, but everyone will be like, you've probably seen his work and you've probably guessed and looked at his work as well. But he's one of the sort of people that made me kind of look and be like, and he's a big Kanye West fan. So it's kind of like, those are the kind of people that I would kind of like attest to kind of like being my main sort of key inspirations in the industry that we're in. Um, it's weird. It's like, there wasn't a lot of people that I looked at and was just like, sick, I want to be you. Like, sometimes there was, like, James Temple being one of them from RGA, um, Tony Davidson from Wyden the Kennedy, Scott Dungate from, Scott Dungate from Wyden the Kennedy, um, Lachlan from RGA. Um, it's, like, it's like, a there's like moments of people that I look up to and respect and I'm like, man, like, you guys are dope. But there's never been anyone from the industry that I've heard their name and I'm like, I want to be like you. And I don't know whether that's for any specific reason, but it's mainly been people kind of outside of the industry that we're in that's kind of really inspired me. What's interesting is like everyone that you talk about has sort of trailblazed to an extent, right? Like they've sort of set these paths and shown what's possible. And actually, like now what I do exactly what you just said, you're not really wanting to be like other people. I'm sure now there's a lot of young black kids that see what you guys are doing and thinking, I want to do what these guys are doing. And I think you lot are really, the, the word that I hear quite a lot and what we've spoken about a lot is narrative. Like You guys are really owning your own narrative. And I go back to that story that Quest just told about you rocking up to a client in a tech pack. Like, that's sick. That's wavy because you're owning your truth, you're owning who you are, but then you're also setting this narrative of like, this is who I am. You have to take me for who I am and, you know, I'm unapologetic about it. And I think a lot of that sort of transpires into some of the personal projects that I've seen you guys have done. I know we haven't touched on them too much, but how important is it for you guys, just that whole concept of narrative? First of all, what does it mean to you, that concept of narrative? And 
I feel like everything that you guys do, that's almost at the core of what you want. It's like owning this narrative and setting, you know, like kind of changing what people, how people perceive black people. So I know it's a very long question, but just re- would love to get your point of view on it because that's as a friend, but also just an admirer of what you guys do. I'd love to get your perspective on the narrative. Touch on that. It's interesting you say that because, um, funny enough, like when that when that time was happening within RGA, going into wider and then going seeing that um, Christmas party and being like, "Yo, I don't fit in." I think one of the things I said that I want to that is going to be sort of like a life choice is that I want to control my narrative and I want to take control of the narrative because both at the time I didn't feel like I had any say in at the time, or I didn't really feel like I, I really paid attention to it. So when I said I kind of take control of my narrative, I'm going to take control how I how I act, how people perceive me. I'm taking control of that. I'm not letting that come to chance and let someone else have to dictate that. So at that time, that's when it became imperative that, that everything we do is that's what we're going to make part of like ourselves. Be down to how we dress, down to how we speak down to hair, down to whatever. Um, but when I said take control of the narrative, that's when it became about storytelling and being like, okay, we've been in these spaces and not once have we, not once has anyone written like a black character or someone's name. Like for instance, in our scripts, we started to put like Femi or Ade as like a character name because once you put that person's name in there, that's how everyone has to address it. But we never... That's, and that's immediately taking control of the narrative. Like, um, there's no there's no diversity talk because it's already ingrained in the story from the jump. Do you know what I mean? So from then on, it was like, cool, I want to, the stories I want to tell are going to be stories that take, put us back in the conversation as to how we want to see ourselves. Um, and just not really asking for permission anymore. It's just more of a thing of just like, this is how it's going to be. So just weirdly enough, those two making that those two sort of life choices kind of filtered out into the work we're doing at work, but also outside of work. Because then I was again, when you're in those spaces, there's only so much you can do. Like I can't like there's, a, there's only so much you can do. There's only so many t- tolus you can put in a script. There's only so many like do you know what I mean? There's only so many like <laughs> before someone goes and says um, maybe we should change the story. Maybe we should be somewhere else, set in another place or whatever. Um, and there's only so much you can push brands. And I start to realize that like again, it's the asking permission thing. Is like when you're working with brands, indirectly or not, even if you're trying to bring be your most authentic self, they're the ones that are going to be the gatekeepers to the idea at the end of the day. They're the ones who're going to sign off. So then that really pushed me and I guess for AK as well and I think for everyone in this where it's like you start to look outside of the space that you're in on ways that you can control your narrative and for us that was within film and within storytelling and what we see on the screen or what we see on the TV or what we see on your phone and being able to really take, the only way you can take control of it is to, is to stop being a spectator and start participating. Because I think if you're spectating and you're complaining about it, you're just a spectator. Just you're in the audience. You can't dictate what you see on the screen. The only way you can is if you actually start participating. And I think, yeah, just those two life choices, man. It just kind of like for me, it changed my life completely. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think, um, yeah. So 
I think at that point, we started to realise, yeah, there is only so many Femis and Tolus and Abanas you can put into a script. (laughs) (laughs) Which was, it was actually jokes when we started doing that. Because we've done it to see. I remember like, I won't mention the brand, but I remember us doing it in a a brief. And it was like, we were there and was like, yeah, but these are stories that like, we know people like this. So this Mm. is actually true. Was it Facebook? It was Facebook, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all smoked today. <laughs> Look at his face. <laughs> he's like, who was it? It wasn't, it wasn't them. It was more. It was more the the team that we were working with. Like this is before it goes to client or anything like that. So, yeah. But when we wrote all those things, was writing these stories, and it was interesting. But I think to to come back to the narrative, I think one thing that we started to realize is that there are like if we look at us as as like as as people all in this room right now and a lot of our peers and 98 or 99% of the people we know we live very normal lives like we're very normal people we're like we've either been to like uni or like we've worked in places that have been fun and exciting and we just we're just cool people but what the world sees of people like us is not that and no disrespect mm. to other people's work but like they see topwear and that is the black experience. And it's like, that's not my experience. That's mm. not anyone in this room's experience. So I think we, there was a point where, like I've said, where we looked at stuff and we realised we were just the people that were talking, 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 getting annoyed at shit. And we realised, it was actually from a Virgil quote, funny enough. And he said he was watching the MTV Awards and then like, basically, um, he was annoyed at the people that kept on getting the awards. And then he was like, the only way he could get to that stage was if he started creating and then that's when he started to like become less of a of a spectator and a participator. And I think we realized that as well. So I think a big thing that we both want to do is like is write stories that talk about that normality. Um, saying that I've just written and directed my first short film, Lock Off, which is jeez, still in <laughs> which has been it's been mad because I didn't realize how much work goes into like telling a story because you have to make sure it's told right. But saying that, it's, it's a funny story that makes you really question your inbuilt biases. Um, mm. And then for me, it was like, I just wanted to just figure out how I tell stories. And then what I want to do as well, moving forward, is like, just start to tell like mad joke stories that we've all kind of lived. Like, whether it's us like just going about the mandem, whether it's us like going on holiday, whether it's situations that happen to us in our lives, that like, everyone's got a story. Like, life is one story. And it's yeah. like, it's insane that our stories have never been told by us. But Quest, do you know what I find interesting? Because like, obviously we went to, to Trinidad. Don't know if you know, guys, we all went to Trinidad. In <laughs> <laughs> but like, just using that as an example, a yeah. lot of those stories, they're normal. And you just made a point that we're pretty normal. I can't, I almost disagree. I think to us, we're normal because this this is our reality and these are our stories. But if you tell these stories to other people, share these stories with other people, they're like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. So I almost think that that normality that we think we have to other people is is like absurd. And, you know, they, they would have never even imagined or thought to live a life like this. So I, I do agree with you to an extent, but I also think our normality is probably like the average person's waviest idea of a a life or a night out or a holiday. Um, and I think, like you said, sharing those stories and opening people's eyes, they'll be like, fuck, this is how, this is how people live. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. It's mad. 
It's funny yeah. you say that because I came up with a. I had the script, and it was to do. It was called. Um, it was called Source actually, the Source or whatever. And basically, it's set in this like Afrobeat nightclub, and it's it's like a normal party, or whatever. And these two guys kind of lock eyes, and you think a madness is about to kick off, but then suddenly one of them starts moving their shoulder, the other one starts <laughs> suddenly to sink. But as you do in a party, and everyone and suddenly everyone else around them starts doing the same move, and then all of a sudden the whole place goes live, and then we cut to like this one oddball, like this one like white dude who's just in the party and he's just like witnessed this for the first time and he's just like what the fuck is going on like what and um and from that day on like he goes this, next day he goes to the office and he's just mesmerized and his two colleagues his two black colleagues are like who took who took john to an afrobeat rave and it's like oh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, i remember like when we was in rga and it kind of it, it was from a um an experience we started to do the the electric slide but in candy right and i remember one of our colleagues came up to me and goes what is this dance <laughs> and i remember being like i actually mad that like these are just like, again we just all live separate lives no one would ever see or experience how we experience life and actually in fact we don't it's weird for us i think it's funny because we don't even expect to see that on screen like we we think it's we don't how weird it is we don't see that on screen like how how much um how different our lives are because we just never see it so it's funny you say that man because yeah it's <laughs> when you witness it you're like oh shit like we actually are very different than yeah. our normal I, hear I think i think very I think different, different than normal. i think we're different but i do feel like just to come back on your point yeah if i do believe that like there is, I think in normality, maybe obviously the, like the stuff that we've done, like Trinidad, that shit was just like, again, thank you for inviting me, bro. Like I'm, I'm forever in debt, like to like literally this, that experience was, that is an out of this world experience. Shouts out to your dentist. Shouts out to your dentist in Trinidad. Shout out to the dentist. <laughs> literally that, that, uh, that, that's like, that is a whole, that's not even a movie. That's like, <laughs> we have to do something. We have to tell that story at some point. Yeah, yeah. one day, bro. Just mad, but I think what I think what I was getting at was like just the representation of like I do. There's a lot of people that don't obviously do stuff like that, but then they do live like generally normal lives, and the perception of how they're perceived can often be negative. And I think that's kind of what I wanna, I really wanna like start to change and start to get those stories out. Like there's a story that um that I've got that's basically about one of my boy's cars that got stolen, and it's like <laughs> you think about. That, that I want to actually develop. And it's like, if you think about like that from a top boy perspective, you'd think that, okay, he's going to be an arms house and he's going to go and do a madness. And the actual story of what happens is completely different. And I think it covers mm. like so much of how we are as people and how we kind of deal with situations in, in, in mm. our world. So, yeah. And I think that's the whole thing about controlling the narrative. And I think that like, I've got like, ain't got kids yet, but like, I've got like a little niece, little nephew, and I look at them and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but I look at them and I like, kind of like, I, w- I want them to look at and, and see the stories that we're putting out now and be like, oh yeah, I can be myself. I can be, I have mm. a license to just do what I like. Because I know that when we were growing up, it was like the choices of like, of, of what you could be, it was just like be a bad man. 
And that's it. That's what it kind of felt like. It was like there wasn't any, there was no kind of like, in terms of people we'd see, it's like a bad man or a sports star. There was no, there was no, there was nothing else really out there for us to kind of like, to identify with. And I think that like, we've all got different stories, different things about us mm. and, and they're cool. And some things might seem, might uh, appear to be sneaky in the past. And it's like, actually no, like those mm. things are the most pioneering things you can yeah. be right now. I think that's what mm. I mean in terms of like, showing the normality and, us really being able to kind of see see those stories. Yeah, I think um I think um what you just said as well about like just putting those stories out to change and own a narrative. Um there's a job to be done to kind of subvert the ideas of who we are. Like me like Abdu and I put out serious things last year and like that's a, a huge a huge look into an or an insight into our lives as as young black males coming up in 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 the hood or in in the city environments like what we tried to do was take the screw face or something that was obviously deemed as something that could be quite aggressive or unknown to the outside world and then flip it on its head to be like no that's actually just a a survival tactic do you know what i mean so you're right like i feel like it's very important for us to um yeah, own those narratives and trying to change or subvert the ideas of what um, black people and our community is. And, like, we, we we owe it to ourselves to do that. Do you know what I mean? Because otherwise, as Ab would say, like, if we don't, who will? Um, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think it's reflected it also in, like, uh, the workplace. The amount of times when I've had colleagues ask me questions or assume certain things, to me, where I'm like, it's so obvious but I, today, I think I'll, I'll have, I had an instance where, what, it's funny you mentioned the candy uh, dance, because I had some, someone who I will not name, but uh, came up and said, oh yeah, I've just learned this new uh, African tribal dance. And then it's like, um, so I didn't, I was, I was. What? You know those moments when you just consider like your whole life, like I was just, it's two plus two, four. Like, I was questioning everything that was, uh, Man said African tribal dance. Wow. You know, you know, when, you know when the, the electric slide. <laughs> you know Dave Chappelle in one of his skits where not skits, one of his stand-up, he's like, when um when people say something that's so racist that you actually can't yeah. believe that it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was racist. <laughs> like that happened like, to me like, last night. Actually. Angry, right? That actually yeah, happened to me really. last night. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but, but but I think I think like it, it was shocking, but it came from a place of just came from a place of just like not not knowing, and that was like for me, it's just like rah, okay. So like that, that was the first clue. But then um, I, it's interesting when we we're talking about narrative, and I feel like technology and social media has helped. It's also been a help and a hindrance, but I think now we've got like TikTok, we've got uh, short form, we've got um, people that we never would have heard of um, owning the narrative and coming out on these platforms. I think of like uh, like a Munya Chihuahua who's been doing like great things on his thing. I think he's announced something with uh, Netflix in terms of, uh, you know, who would have thought like a character called like Barty Crease would have like a new segment? Like, like you know, you know, so like technology has been a help and a hindrance in so many things. And we've seen short form, like the amount of information the storytelling you can get in 10 seconds will forever amaze me. And like I think like people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. Just wanted to um, just ask you guys, like, where do you see the future in terms of the narrative and storytelling? Where do you think, what space do you see it going in the future? You know, I think I kind of mentioned something in, in my, my first question about going back into the past, right? Mm. And that will 
often, if you want to see if your, your, your future, sometimes you've got to go back to your past. Yeah, yeah. And, I at, and I think what me and Ad were talking about recently is like, so right now there's like, there's barely any TV shows or films that are surrounded around black films or it's, it's like, it seems that everything that's around about at the moment is about black trauma, right? But it's mm. like, we were talking about, actually, when we grew up, we had like Fresh Prince, yes. Raven, My Wife and Kids, Sister, Sister, Keenan and Kel. One-on-one. So like, <laughs> they used to be, and obviously they're all American, Desmond. Like, Desmond. <laughs> there was actually black shows in the past. Real McCoy. And it's like, it's like Real McCoy, so many. And it's like Lenny Henry show. And it's mm. that kind of thing where it's like, there were loads, but then something happened overnight where all of a sudden they didn't exist. And I think we were talking and what was really interesting was that like, there was, I think there was like a collective of people um, uh, in, in America anyway, and I think that in some in the UK and they were really working, I think in on, on the shows I mentioned, which were predominantly kids shows, they done a lot of shows for like black kids, but then they didn't necessarily translate into like more adult shows. And I think what we all kind of have a duty to is to kind of like, take the baton from them and bring it through because it's mm. like they were all writing those things back in the day. Like when you'd see, I forgot the show where it's got like, it's got like Jamie Foxx in it when he was like super young and it's like all these comedy skits. And when you see all those, when you see those shows, you're like, raw, like that's mad. You look at the Wayne brothers and what they were doing. It was just like, they, they were doing madnesses. And I think obviously those, those what's really sad is that those projects almost die out with those people. So I think mm. what we almost need to do is we need to kind of like take a, um, a, a note from their book and kind of bring that with our stories. Like we've got like an unlimited amount of stories, an infinite mm. in, in in our world. And I think what we need to do is like collaborate, um, which mm. I think is a big thing. I think me and I speak about all the time about obviously we write, we direct, we work in the advertising industries right now, but we want to be like writing stuff for other people, diet stuff for other people. That's going to be a big thing that I think when people start to realise that actually you can kind of, you don't have to try and do everything. Like it's all about like transferring your skills over. When you look at like your, your Michael Bay's, your Steven Spielberg's, like, like all of these big directors, they all work with each other. Like JJ Abrahams might be executive producer on one person's projects that Michael Bay is directing. Like they all kind of work with each other. So in that, what happens is like when they go and they're putting out stuff, JJ might have like, I don't know, like 10 projects out in a year. Like I think Donald Glover is like doing it quite a lot at the moment as well. Like when you see what he's done, he's got back to back to back projects from Atlanta to the albums, to the film with Rihanna, um, to the Adidas collection. It's like, that's because he's collaborating with all these people. So I think for me, I think the way I see it is I think what we're going to be doing in the next decade is we're going to be writing a lot more of those shows that kind of end up on your primetime TV that showcase that black normality that also showcase. So I think that's the thing. There's that thing where we black people have to be excellent to get into these, to, into these rooms. Whereas like there are 84 war movies. There are 10,000 man on the moon movies coming out a year. It's like, <laughs> It's like so. It's like in that. It's like people had the mat, and it's like actually, you know what? Fuck it. Like, cool. You lot do your thing, but we're gonna start to tell our stories. And I think a big thing, um, like you just mentioned, Steve was like, like looking at Munya and looking what he's doing is like, and you look at your Mo, your Michael Dappers, like all these people is that they just used their tools that they had, and then if you tools that you have, and then like eventually keep on doing what you're doing and you're going to get the Netflix deal. You're going to get the Universal on the phone. You're going to sign the 
like Jordan Peele did, like uh, an mm-hmm. eight-picture, 500 million US dollar deal. Not to say that that's, not to say money's the thing that we're going for, but what that will allow you to do is that will allow you to tell more of the stories. And I think yeah. that you that you want to tell. And I think like Tyler Perry, also a massive person who's done that, Shonda Rhimes, who's like killed it. And it's like, I think the way we're seeing it now is like, we're, we're, we're going to be telling those stories. We're going to be doing it from the worlds that we are, which is obviously the UK and mm-hmm. hopefully the world will, will connect to that. And I think it's like, it's, I think we've seen people doing it already. Obviously, I know that like, Top Boy, it was quite funny. I saw like on Twitter the other day, um, I shared it with my friend, um, Abby. And basically like, there was like, so with Netflix, what they do is they, whenever they do something, they like dub it into all different languages. Mm. And they redub Top Boy in Hindi. I don't know if anyone's seen it. They <laughs> <laughs> no, sent that to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen it still. Is it? It's a scene where like um where Asher D and Kano are like at, like Kano's like, why aren't you as mad as me? And like and but in Hindi it's just whole it's mad. And I'm reading this guy's friend on I'm gonna watch that with Ankita, bro. Oh my uh, days. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I <laughs> Like, and I was reading the thread and the guy was like yeah I thought I would just change it and he's like I'm now like episode 8 it is <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you got the scene with like Dave he's like ha ha Sonny and it's like for me it's like it's mad that there's people in different parts of the world there might be someone mm. in India watching that but there might be someone who's in Australia who's of Hindi descent who's mm. watching and is learning about a, a, a part of black life in the UK and I find that so interesting and exciting and I think that like yeah like imagine that imagine like we're, we're hearing like Kieran in Trinidad doing a madness and it's in translated Hindi trust yeah you're doing like, and it's like that's the power of our stories that like mm. they, they are, they're so they're so fruitful I think the big thing that like that I, I would say is that we need to be writing them because I think one thing that's happened in the past is that the stories that have been written about us haven't been written by us, so they're not truthful stories. Mm. It's like, it's someone's interpretation of what black life is. And for me, it's kind of like, I I, I, uh, I, I can talk for years about how that gets me so angry because for me, it's like, effectively, people kind of start to... Because I'm a believer that like you are what you see and that art imitates life, life imitates art. So if you're being told that art, this is how black life should be and how you should be like riding out on your ops and dipping people. And it's not written by someone that's black. It's a bit like, rah, that's a, that's not a truthful portrayal of that someone's mm. life. And I think that there's, there's certain nuances and certain things that we would write that will hopefully elevate us as people. That obviously everyone wants to see like a funny film. Everyone loves a nice gangster flick. Everyone like, like they're, they're, they're genres and they have their own right. And, and they're all cool. And the same way you'll see John Wick killing off motorcyclists and riding the horses. Uh, yo, like, we can do that as well. <laughs> Let's do it from our perspective because we'll put a spin on it that will, then, that will then give it, like, a creative spin that no one would ever have been able to have, like, put together. So, yeah. See, see. And, and Abs, from your point of view as well, like, um, how do you see things in terms of the narrative for the future, next five years? I think we will stop accepting lip service as a form of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a while now we've been, for a while now we've been brought in to like, as he just said, like quite right that 
the story's not being written, but we they will probably get someone in to come and translate or someone, someone in to kind of like, not translate, sorry, someone in to kind of like mediate what's being said so it feels authentic to the audience are like, yeah. Um, so I think, ironically, I'm going to say Black Panther because you got it on the back of your thing, your background, like um, R.O.P. Chadwick Boseman. But for me, like, let's, let's be real with that film now. That was like the biggest lip service we could ever be given. In a sense of like, they got a black writer to come in and help write it. Um, they got an all black cast. Um, they made sure it was authentic to like how people in that region would talk. But let's be real, that story isn't owned by anyone that's black. Yeah. And I think like it's 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 owned by Stanley, who then who made Stanley made it, and then it now owned by Marvel, who's owned by Disney. And Walt Disney's frozen somewhere, ready to be. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's not owned by us, and I think. And I think in the future, I think the stories will be, we will own that story, but we'll also in the background on paper own it as well. Um, I think that's where we're looking to go in five years. I think we will have our own sort of like economy in itself, similar to the fact that like Japanese anime is its own economy and they own that. Similar to Chinese film is their own film and they own that. I feel like... Nollywood, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Nollywood. Pick up on Nollywood and that. But do you know what I mean? We will. When I say economy, I feel like in terms of just it it comes to like ownership in a weird way, and being able to like, because I think that's what's kind of happened. The press kind of said it like back in the day we had all these shows, and so we almost forgot that we had these shows. And I think if shows like that came out now, we'll be like, oh my god, have you seen this program that has all that cast? And it's like Mm. we've done been having that through younger. And it felt like for a time we, I don't know, I don't, we, we, we debate about what, what it could have been. Personally, I feel like, I think for a time, those people that made that or people that were in that space um, just accepted and just was just happy with the lip service of the fact that they were on TV and those things were happening. But then the, the biggest hurdle would have been ownership and being, being having like, like reducing the, the amount of like gatekeepers that, that were holding things back and, because I think now, even like if you look at adverts, when let's say Nike Team Swoosh started to put more black um, people in their adverts or black, black athletes, um, suddenly we're just like, oh my god, this is sick! Or they start put someone that's like a plus size model in there, and then a plus size people that are a plus size are just like, oh my god, have you seen this? And it's just like, yo, it's just it's actually just lip service. Like I think we need to. I think in the next five years, I think our standards will go up in terms of our expectations of what we expect from ourselves as well as other people as well as brands and I think for me that's the main thing it's like ownership and and that standard being up I think yeah and just yeah. to add to that point what you just said there see about Nollywood it's funny because I think back in the day a lot of things that were black used to almost be perceived as like not good enough ridiculed like, rid- exactly ridiculed is a perfect word for it and it's like it's now become its own thing but like when I look at like creatives like African creatives or like Caribbean creatives but I think there's so many stories that that and there's so many people that are up there that can tell these mad stories so like um if you think about in the Caribbean community there's all these writers and they're in the theatre world and it's like we all we all we all have listened to like radio station at Tresfem back in the day and you'd hear those adverts 
and it's like they're there they're, they're there just haven't like maybe the world hasn't seen them and then when you think about like in in the african specific nigeria you've got like directors such as like meiji alabi you've got like dop such as like olan like imagine if you used to get like someone like a meiji like telling like a nollywood film and putting his kind of level of slickness yeah. into mm. a story that hasn't been told before like you, like it's like you can already see and i think it's that thing about the power of going back home you go back home and you just see like a million opp- opportunities you're like oh my yes. days it's like in the next few yeah, years like, that you're just gonna like we saw it when we went trinidad it's like we went yeah. there and it's like like yeah that you've been talking about like music and soca and how the world hasn't really experienced it it's like there's so many there's so many different things that just haven't been tapped into and i think like what I'm starting to love to see now is like how, like, because there's that thing where obviously we are all like um, first generation from like home, what we come from um, families of immigrants, right? And it's like, I think what I've really been excited by is like when I'm looking on IG and I'm seeing like how the creators in Ghana are doing bits and I'm there and I'm like, raw, like, check out this video. And it's like they've got their full production companies and they're doing madnesses and it's like, I think a big thing as well, just to add to that, I think, so when we're at Widens, one thing that Widens do, which is quite sick, is they shoot a lot of their stuff in Ukraine, um, which is actually quite interesting because you can do anything there. And it's like, I think what's interesting is seeing how that they, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can make shit look good and you can be in London, like literally with a, with a bit of money, you're in London again when they build them mm. set. So mm. what I'm really excited about seeing, my cousin's working on a few videos with Naira Mali. And I think what was mad was seeing how they were building out their sets in that Nigeria and in Ghana. And like, then he told me how much they spent. And I was like, wow, like, that is incredible. And I think that it's like the people are there. Like, the skill sets are there. They just haven't got, like, um, in, in, in terms of the scale, the scale hasn't grown and hasn't blown that much yet. And I think that what we're going to start to see is over, like, over the next few years, like, yo, there might be... Like the same way you see Game of Thrones, which is what uh, uh, a Scandinavian, I don't really watch it, but I mean, it's a Scandinavian story, right? There might be a story. Well, my hope is that there's going to be a story that's going to be from Central Africa, from a story from Zimbabwe, a story from Egypt, a story from Ghana, Nigeria, like Niger, like all these Senegal. Like, and I think, think about like, it's, it's, there's so much there and these stories haven't been uncovered. So yeah, and I would love to be involved in that stuff as the world starts to, as we then hopefully open up again, it starts mm. to become more connected. So amazing, man. Look, Abdu Kwesi, I genuinely could sit or we could genuinely sit here and chat all fucking day long. Um, we just want to say thank you for giving us your time um and speaking so openly about your journeys, your your thoughts, your opinions. Um and yeah, just thank you, bruv. Like thank you. Um we just want to see you lot shining. You get me? Like you have been doing already. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, bro. Um, you've been listening to the Out of Home podcast with your boys, Kieran, Yaf, Stephen, Kwame, and the boys, Abdu, Sise, and Akwesi Poku. You're done, though. Blah! Jeez! Thank you, guys. No, thank you, guys. And also, big up you guys as well, man. What you guys are doing is fucking sick. I, I could talk about it all day, but like, to see you, man, what you, man, are doing is exactly what we're talking about, which is, like, taking control of your narrative and taking control of the narrative. Like, having you guys in podcasting, not only being from the UK, but being in Amsterdam, being one of the very few people that are doing that. 
and doing big things is, is a big inspiration to us as well. So, no, thank you guys. What's amazing to see is like, we often talk about what our younger selves would have loved to have seen. And if I was like 12, 11, 13 and looking for stuff and I saw like what you guys are building, like, I would be like, whoa, like, I'd be so amazing, so like inspired. And it's like, Sick. yeah, like, keep doing what you're doing. Like, you know, all killing it in your own respective industries and also with your own source as well and your own projects. And yeah, man, just keep doing it. Like, thank you as well for the invite. Love, man. You love the crazy. said, you love the crazy. Gee, <laughs> I'm gonna start recording. I'm gonna start recording. You London boys are crazy. Hey, come on. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 